0: making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back to another month of this podcast. This episode is a scary one. In order to prepare you for this episode, you might want to check out Solitaire Cube. What is that? That is an app you can download to your phone. You can play Solitaire, but you're competing against other people, and you're playing for real money. Games cost as little as 60 cents, where you can win a dollar, or you can go up to, there's hundreds of dollars that you can play in a match. You can play tournaments. You can end up playing against people from all over the world for real money. If you are skilled at Phone Solitaire, check it out. It is a lot of fun and maybe you'll compete against me. But if you sign up with promo code Derek Izzy, that's D-E-R-E-K-I-Z-Z-I, you will get one dollar for free as soon as you fund your account. That's it. you just fund your account with one dollar and then you use promo code Derek Izzy and they will match that with a dollar. Good luck, and play on. One of the greatest detectives of all time is actually fictional. Created by British author Arthur Conan Doyle, this brilliant detective, everyone recognizes the name of Sherlock Holmes. But the first mention of Sherlock Holmes in print actually dates back to 1887, with lots of stories that were created throughout the 1880s and the early 1900s until the final story of 1927. They say that the prototype for Sherlock Holmes was actually a creation of Edgar Allan Poe. Poe created a detective, and it's possible that there were detectives that were created in stories before Edgar Allan Poe. According to Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes was actually inspired by Joseph Bell. Joseph was a surgeon at the time, but he was very good at drawing conclusions from small observations that made him a very effective surgeon. The topic of our podcast, it would turn out, was a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. Born in May of 1861 in the state of New Hampshire, the topic of our podcast was very intelligent. But you know, when you're an intelligent child, you often get bullied by the other kids because you're smarter than they are, and they don't like that. Their jealousy leads to physical bullying. And that's exactly what happened to the topic of our podcast. As he was growing up, the bullying kind of led him down the road where he developed a fascination with death. The topic of our podcast responded to this bullying, and it is alleged that he pushed one of his classmates off of a cliff to his death. As a teenager, this would be one of his first experiences with death. His family had immigrated from England, and he had siblings. His father worked as a farmer, and he painted houses. His parents were very religious. And typically, people that do bad things and are obsessed with death tend to come from Abusive households, but it doesn't appear that that was the case. He loved to dissect things. He would take animals apart and view their insides. But his intelligence would lead him to graduate from high school at the age of 16. He became a teacher. He got married. Everything seemed to be going his way in life. In 1880, he had a son. He always managed to keep his curiosity about death and dissection. He would enroll at the University of Vermont, but he didn't last long. A year after leaving University of Vermont, he went to the University of Michigan, where he learned about medicine and surgery. Being in medical school, he had access to cadavers. It was rumored that he would steal these cadavers and perform his own experiments on them. After graduating from college in Michigan, And citing irreconcilable differences with his wife, he would leave his wife and son behind and head off to New York. After only being in New York for a short period of time, he was seen in the company of a young boy, and then that boy would go missing. When questioned about it, the topic of our podcast had said that the boy was from Massachusetts and had left to go back to his family. And then the topic of our podcast would leave New York. He would land in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In Philadelphia, he found a job working in a pharmacy. One of the boys who was a customer of the pharmacy took medicine that was given to him by the topic of our podcast. And he died. After the death of this boy, the topic of our podcast would flee again. This time, arriving in Chicago, Illinois. He would find work at a drugstore. In the Inglewood neighborhood of Chicago, he decided this was the place for him. He settled down, and even though having never actually divorced his first wife, he got married again. In 1889, the couple would have a daughter. Not everyone was happy with the topic of our podcast and his choice of spouses. In fact, a mother and her daughter who worked at the drugstore, they objected to this marriage The mother actually had a thing for the topic of our podcast, and she was vocal. Even though she was married at the time, she voiced her protest to the topic of our podcast about his new marriage. And then both her and her daughter disappeared. She was allegedly pregnant with his child at the time of her disappearance. Her daughter would die of poisoning. And when the drugstore owner would die... The topic of our podcast would purchase the store from the deceased man's wife. He allegedly borrowed money against the value of the items that were inside the business. That was his collateral to get the loan. Soon after this, the wife that he bought the business from would disappear. When questioned about it, the topic of our podcast had said she had moved to California to go live with family. Running the drugstore himself, he would start to generate money. He purchased a lot across the street, and he began construction on a three-story hotel. He would also change his name. We'll talk about the name change later, but his drugstore did very good business. It looked like he was coming up in the world. Even though he was married to two different women, technically, it seemed like his life was finally together. As construction began on this building, he had lots of wild ideas about what to do with it. It had a large basement, and it had some peculiar rooms in it. As the building would continue construction, the topic of our podcast would fire his entire construction crew. Then he would start over with a brand new crew. It's alleged that he refused to pay the construction crews that he fired, claiming that they were doing a horrible job, and therefore he owed them nothing. Rumors at the time stated that he changed construction crews so often so nobody would really understand what he was trying to build. In 1891, construction of his castle was complete. And I call it a castle because from the outside, it was basically designed like a castle. It was made of normal materials of the day that houses were made from, but if you look at it from the outside, the design is very similar to a castle. Now that the castle was complete, it was open for business as a hotel. The World's Fair was headed to Chicago, and the topic of our podcast would have a hotel with vacant rooms. The ability to attract guests from the World Fair was exactly what the topic of our podcast wanted. These were people coming in, traveling from all over the world, and in most cases, their route to the fair and their route back home was not easily traceable. Guests started checking in, but some of them never checked out. It is rumored that the Castle Hotel had trap doors, soundproof rooms, doors that could be locked from the outside outside, gas jets that could asphyxiate victims, and then in the basement, a kiln that could cremate bodies. In 1894, the topic of our podcast was arrested. He was not arrested for murder. He was arrested for illegally selling mortgaged goods and insurance fraud. While in prison, the topic of our podcast met another prisoner whom he asked for advice. He asked this prisoner if he knew any lawyers that could be trusted. And sure enough, he did know a lawyer who could be trusted. So, the topic of our podcast and this lawyer hatched a scheme together. They were working with a third person, and a third person was going to fake their death. Then, a $10,000 insurance claim would go to the wife, and then she would split the money and give shares to the topic of our podcast and the lawyer. Instead of a death being faked, the topic of our podcast actually murdered the man, using chloroform to make him unconscious, and then setting his body on fire. The wife would claim that her husband was overseas in London. While all this was going on the topic of our podcast and his new wife, She had no idea what was happening. But as you know, the more you talk about your exploits, the likelier you are to get caught. And that's exactly what happened. The jailhouse snitch would report to police the insurance fraud scheme. This would launch a full-scale investigation on the topic of our podcast, where he would be involved in one of the most Famous Trials of the Time. During the trial, the topic of our podcast admitted to killing 27 people within his castle, but the estimates from the authorities say it was probably only nine. And during questioning, the topic of our podcast would admit to killing over 200 people over the course of his life. He talked about killing people in other states What he did with the bodies, he was able to provide a lot of details. He even provided details on people he murdered who were actually still alive. This is when investigators started to conclude that while he was guilty of murder, and he definitely was a serial killer, he was more of a serial liar. Throughout his life, he had a history of embellishing and creating fake stories. And newspapers at the time, they ran with it. They wanted circulation. You can imagine the controversy this created when a serial killer is arrested and claims to have killed over 200 people. Upon investigation of the hotel castle, it was found that a lot of the history was exaggerated. While people may have been murdered there, the trapdoors and booby traps that were hidden in the hotel may have been slight exaggerations, but it was proven that people were murdered there, just not in the quantities and in the ways that the newspapers reported it. In 1974, the novel American Gothic was a fictionalized story of the topic of our podcast. In 1994, there was a book that was written called Depraved, The Shocking True Story of America's First Serial Killer. In 2003, Eric Larson's The Devil in the White City, Murder, Magic, and Madness at the Fair that Changed America was a best-selling non-fiction book, but it added an embellished, perhaps fictionalized, piece of the topic of our podcast. During his trial, he acted as his own attorney, That did not go his way at all as he was sentenced to death. And on May 7th, 1896, he was hanged in Philadelphia. It is alleged that his neck did not snap like most hangings, that he was strangled to death slowly, twitching for over 15 minutes before being pronounced dead. During one of his last statements, he asked that his coffin be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep because he was concerned that grave robbers would steal his body and use it for dissection. This was something that they obliged him on. There were lots of rumors at the time that maybe he had escaped death and was on the loose because no one could kill him. And in fact, in 2017, enough of these allegations had piled up that authorities actually exhumed his body and ran tests on it. Authorities were surprised at the condition of his body because it was contained in cement. It wasn't nearly as decomposed as everyone expected. He still had his mustache and his clothes were preserved. They were able to use his teeth to positively identify him. He is confirmed dead, and he is confirmed to be a serial killer, one of America's first serial killers. But he's definitely not the 200-plus person killer that he claimed to be. Having been a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes, most people knew him as H.H. H. Holmes. But he was born Herman Mudgett, because now you know the rest of the story if you'd like to see Herman Mudgett's Castle Hotel it is gone it was gutted by a fire in August of 1895 and while it doesn't exist there is a post office the Inglewood branch of the USPS occupies that location now so if you're in the neighborhood you can go see it and if you have your phone on you Download Solitaire Cube, use promo code Derek Izzy, and take your free dollar when you make your first deposit. Thanks for listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Good day.